Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome, everybody, to the Canadian Investor. Uh, we're excited about the topics we're going to talk about today. Uh, we'll be starting off by talking about the income statement. After that, uh, we'll talk about EXO, one of the marijuana companies, uh, one of the major players in Canada. Um, after that, we'll be talking about Adobe, and we'll finish off with our tip of the day. Uh, Braden, do you have uh, something to say to our listeners before we get started? Yeah, welcome back, everyone. I think Today's episode will be interesting to a lot of people, especially Canadians, with uh, the kind of mania that occurred in the market with marijuana stocks as they entered legalization in October of 2018. Obviously, uh, to date, since then, it's been a bit of a sad story for investors. So we're gonna take we're gonna talk about our take on that, um, how you can avoid these kinds of mistakes in the future, and some common rookie mistakes of things that rookie investors tend to get themselves into and uh, they get burned by these types of examples. So yeah, I think it's going to be a good episode. Yeah, exactly. So we'll start off by talking about the income statement and in one of our next episode, we'll finish off with the uh, cash flow statement. So uh, those are definitely the three major statements you'll be looking at if you're wanting to look at a company. So the income statement, the first thing that I look at is the revenue line. So the top line. So you might, uh, you might, when you look at the, uh, uh, CNBC or uh, any other financial network, they might be saying top line a lot. Top line means revenue means sales. So those are all synonyms that they'll be uh, talking about. Bottom line means your net income. So your net profit, these are all synonyms as well. So that's the first thing I'll be looking at. I definitely want to see at least an increase in revenue. Uh, even though it's it might not be major, I want to see that uh, revenue line, that top line increase. Yeah, that's that's a huge one for me. I have a rules-based investing strategy and I do I simply do not invest in companies that do not have a proven growth of the top line or revenue. For very beginners, uh we want to invest in high-quality businesses and high-quality businesses grow revenues uh over a long long period of time and will continue to do so in the future. So that is an absolute must check box for me. Yeah, exactly. And revenue, one of the things too, you might hear like these stories about uh, back in the day, uh, Braden, you might be a bit too young for that, but Enron, for example, uh, you might have heard of that story. I don't know. You might have been in elementary school. I'm very, I'm very familiar with the story. Uh, Uh, I was a, I was a young lad, that's for sure, when it was happening. But uh, yeah, no, I, I know what happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot more difficult for companies to fudge the revenue line. In terms of the rest of the income statement, there is accounting principles that they have to follow. Um, you have in the U.S., <clears throat> you have GAAP, so generally accepted accounting principle. In the in Canada and a lot of other uh, industrial countries, they have the international financial reporting standards, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's a lot more difficult for companies to fudge that top line whereas the other items companies can put something like one-time items but they 
magically reoccur every other year or every year and things like that. So that's why for me, the revenue is really important. So the next line will be the cost of revenue. Um, the cost of revenue would be essentially what the company, um, a lot of the expenses that go into producing uh, whatever the company is producing. Uh, the next one, uh, Braden, do you want to talk about uh, gross profits? Yeah, gross profit essentially is uh, your first profit margin where you just have taken your top line revenue sales and then taken away the cost of goods sold um, and that's or your cost of revenue. So uh, at, its, at its basic principle, that's the gross profit before you get into any of the operating expenses that we can talk about here on the next line. So a, a healthy gross profit margin is, is definitely helpful. And what I find... Um, really, really interesting. And a lot of really high quality businesses all have this type of characteristic where uh, the revenue is increasing and the cost of goods sold will naturally increase as well. But if it's increasing at a slower pace than the actual top line and that gross profit is trending upwards, that's a very good thing to be able to see. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. It's just revenue minus the cost of goods sold. Uh, yeah, exactly. So generally you want that margin, like at least you want it to remain stable, at least increase a little bit. Um, so now down the line, we'll go into the operating expenses. So there could be um, in there, you'll see um, restructuring, uh, mergers, sales, general and administrative, research and development. Um, there could be other operating expenses. Um, so those are all part of operating the business without going into too much detail. Um, I think you'll also have, uh, you can correct me if I, I'm, I don't have this right. Uh, the one I'm looking at is the income statement of EXO, so they don't have anything there. But I think the operating expenses, do you have depreci depreciation and amortization in there as well? Uh, yeah, tip, typically, typically you will. Um, you'll have depreciation, depreciation and amortization in the operating expenses. Um, and then that'll lead you to, you know, the next line item of operating income. It depends on the source you're looking at. Like I'm looking at, uh, QuickFS, which is a, which is a uh, free source I used to, I like to use for 10 year income statements, cash flow statements, balance sheets. It's a very, very useful tool. And it doesn't list it there as, as a line item. It probably tucks it in under other operating expenses, um, I would assume. But then if I look at another source here um, on CIBC, it's showing it as a line item as well. So I like the sources online that show you every single line item, even if that line item is zero for that particular business, it helps you understand the whole picture um, and reduces a little bit of confusion. But typically you'll find it in there, yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I wasn't sure. I was looking at Morningstar. So as you guys can see, we're looking at uh, two different sources. Usually they'll be pretty similar in terms of reliability. Uh, however, it's always good to go into the actual uh, financial statements when you're looking seriously into uh, doing the homework for a company. Uh, you can use the sources like what we're using more as a screening tool, maybe to kind of rule out some companies. Um, just a quick note, depreciation and amortization. For those of you not aware of that, depreciation is usually um, uh, the, 
it's usually when uh, you have some equipment and you're slowly riding off uh, the usage of the equipment over time. So that's depreciation. Um, and then amortization is you're essentially, uh, say uh, you're going to use something for a five-year period. Uh, you're amortizing it. So you're um, putting it over those five years um, and basically splitting the cost into those five years instead of the year you actually purchased it in. So those are um, things that sometimes people won't be 100% sure of. That's why real estate uh, investment trusts, usually they will add back in the uh, depreciation is because the buildings usually won't be losing their value as much as it will show on the income statement. Yeah, that brings up a good point as well. Um, I was lucky enough to, a few years back, interview a guy named Mihir Desai, who is a Harvard business professor and law professor. And he sent me an early copy of his book called How Finance Works and how it basically leads to that you know, true finance nirvana is cash flow items and and it removes a lot of the uncertainty and problems with looking at items like depreciation and amortization on an income statement. So more, a more important metric to uh, earnings is typically, or net income is typically called EBITDA, which, which removes the de depreciation and amortization and moves it to a more cash-based metric. And then eventually, uh, if you include removing uh, you know, capital expenditures, you're going to be getting to a metric called free cash flow, which which is very similar to to earnings, except you're taking away that that line of with which is capital expenditures. So it's it's all kind of related, and it links to the to the cash flow statement. But we're finding that analysts and big institutional funds have changed the way they invest significantly over the last ten years to more cash based accounting um, because that. That ultimately leads to what the company can then use to reinvest into the business or reward shareholders with dividends. Um, so you're seeing a lot of these line items become uh, not favorable for for investors because companies are able to do some pretty funny accounting stuff and manipulate numbers in a way that can be kind of misleading. So moving to a more cash-based accounting system is very important, but it, it all comes down to the income statement first and how it leads to the cash flow statement. So I'm going on a long tangent here, but basically the, the important part here is there are some pieces here in the operating expenses that are uh, can be accounting tricks. So be, be wary of that. And we've seen in the past, you talked about Enron, we've talked about Lehman Brothers. These are companies that were using accounting tricks and, and, and lying to shareholders, essentially, and, and you know how that ends for everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, just a quick note, EBITDA, it's uh, what uh, Braden just mentioned. So it's earnings before interest, de uh, interest depreci depreciation, taxes, and amortization. So I think I messed up a few letters in there, but that's essentially what it is. Um, so you'll see analysts using that quite a bit. Um, so next on the income statement, one of the lines I pay the most attention 
too, especially when a company has a decent amount of debt, is the interest expense. So this is what they're paying in interest costs. Uh, usually I'll try to compare that to their EBITDA, what we just talked about, because that'll tell me before all those expenses, those non-cash items, how much money that they're actually producing and how many times they're actually covering uh, their interest expense. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, have we got to the to the bottom line yet here on the? Uh, we're about to get there. Yeah. Okay. So slowly but surely. <laughs> you want to fill in the gaps? I, I don't know what you finished off here. Yeah, just uh, the interest <laughs> expense. So uh, there's other. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. we can look at. Uh, um, I guess the most important after that is probably net income, and then uh, cash flow statement that we'll look at uh, in another episode. Hmm. Yeah. So so once you get you know, you've, you've reduced your cost of goods sold and got to gross profit. Typically, that'll be a bolded line on the statement. And then it'll list your operating expenses and you'll get another bolded line of total operating expenses. And under that, you know, you'll get another line that says operating profit. So operating profit is typically, you know, what is the actual profits of regular operating activities, typically? I mean, sometimes you're getting depreciation and amortization in there, which can be confusing. And then you go into to net interest income and other non-operating income to get pre-tax income. And then you're going to be paying your income tax to get net income. And if you're not looking at a balance sheet, or sorry, an income statement right now, this is probably hella confusing, but essentially that all boils down to the bottom line of net income. And net income is the bottom line of the income statement but is the top line of the cash flow statement. So you're seeing how these are all starting to work together. Now it is the first line of the cash flow statement. So how these statements all work together, the three financial statements, they all start to come together once you start analyzing certain companies. And um, I think that's where you kind of come up with a story when you're looking at these. Um, and a, a source that I talked about before, quickfs.net, shows you 10-year statements um, for all of these items, which is actually very difficult to find on the internet. Like Yahoo Finance will only give you four years. Sometimes your brokerage account will only give you three years. So if you know any awesome other free tools, feel free to go to getstockmarket.com and drop us a line on what you like to use. Uh, but quickfs.net is a very great free tool. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I've looked at it and I've used it a few times. So it's definitely uh, really nice. Um, so, and in general, basically the income statement, I think what's more, most important to understand is it'll give you an idea, especially of the sales growth of the company, uh, what the cost of the company of doing business as a whole, and then their profits. But it's important to understand that, uh, the way the income statement is structured, even though um, it doesn't necessarily represent exactly the cash coming in and out of the company because of the reasons we mentioned, for example, depreciation and amortization, well, those are non-cash items. So that's why they're added back into the cash flow statement. So that's why it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to understand, but uh, there's a lot of emphasis put on earnings per share, uh, price to earning ratio, and so on. So uh, stocks on a short-term basis, I find will move a lot with earnings per share. But if you kind of factor everything in, in the long term, if you do a good analysis of the company, it should uh, pay for you in the long run. Any more comments on that, uh, Braden? 
No, I think that's good. Uh, we should move on to some fun stuff. Yeah. Talk about some companies. So I guess uh, I'll start off with EXO. I know we've had a few requests about uh, talking about mar- marijuana stocks. I know EXO pretty well. So because we just talked about the income statement, I think it's interesting to uh, look at uh, EXO's income statement. So if you're looking, I had to use the quarterly. So the last five quarters, I don't love using quarters usually because it's very short term. But because marijuana was legalized in late 2018, um, EXO did not have much in terms of revenue uh, back then. So if I'm looking at uh, the last quarter of 2018, they went from 5.6 million after that to the next quarter, uh, 13 million. 13.4, 13.4, then the next one 13, then the next one 15, then the next one 14.5. So you can see they kind of leveled off a little bit in terms of increase, and it's hard to make a case that cannabis sell will increase during the holiday period. I feel like uh, that's probably fairly steady throughout the year, technically, for people's consumption, maybe a little bit uh, around Christmas time. Um, for them, what's really alarming is the cost of their revenue has gone way up way faster than their uh, actual sales increase. Um, um, There's other issues, which I'll talk about uh, about EXO, but if you're looking at their operating income, so it's well into the negative. Um, There's the same for their earnings. It's uh, not looking good. They are going more and more in the negative, and that's also reflected on their cash flow statement. Um, Their free cash flow has gone from 50 million the negative per quarter um so the last quarter last two quarters it was 120 uh, and 79 in terms obviously million so in the negative again so it's really not looking well for them there's a few issues uh that are plaguing exo and the marijuana sector in general so first of all people got overly excited so there was definitely a bubble for marijuana stock everyone that i was talking to i was trying to tell them look this is just uh, fomo so fear of missing out people are just going crazy they were making i remember in like late 2017 um and they were just making these ridiculous predictions. Like uh, I could see articles saying, like, "Oh, the cannabis market will be 10 billion. It will be 5 billion. It'll be like no one really knew because it was a black market. So how can you really know what the uh, the total market will be? Not only that, as there is competition, the margins margins would most likely shrink which is what is happening there were some production issues so um, there was a lot of things as a sector as a whole um, that was not going well I know in Ontario they were also slow at rolling out retail licenses that affected sales Um, but for EXO specifically there's a couple things that came out in the last three months that are super alarming that makes me think they're really desperate for cash so in October, uh, they came out and said they were laying off 200 people. So this is not a huge company. So 200 people is a lot of employees. Shortly after that, uh, they came out and the uh, they announced that they had secured a deal with a group of investors, including the CEO, that they, uh, this group of investors would be offering... 70 million in terms of convertible debt. So what that means is they're essentially issuing debt to EXO. They're getting 8% in return in this case, but they have the option to actually convert it to stock afterwards. What that tells me is if you combine that with the layoff of employees and the fact that the CEO has to put money in, it starts to tell me that they're 
getting desperate to get funds. And you can see that their cash is going way down in their uh, cash flow statement and their income statement. Um, sorry. Well, you can see it there, but their balance sheet as well. So you can see that their cash and cash equivalents is actually dramatically going down. Um, and then the last thing that really, really hurt them is about two weeks ago, a bit less than two weeks ago, they announced that they would be issuing uh, 15 million shares at a price that was 15% lower than the previous close to an institutional buyer. And that they would give the institutional buyer a... 7.5 million extra shares as an option for them to exercise in the future. So what that tells me is they had trouble getting institutions to actually invest in EXO. So they had to give a steep discount to get that money in. Um, and they had to sweeten the pot with an extra 7.5 million shares. So those two combined together rep represent about 10% million, uh, of their outstanding shares. So it represents a lot of dilution for existing shareholders. And it also tells me that if they're willing to take that deal, they're really desperate. They probably can't get any loans from banks or any any type of financial institution um, and they have trouble finding institutional buyers that are willing to invest in the company at a somewhat fair price I guess and um, having all said um, having said that uh, the last thing for me for EXO is even with all these things it's still trading at 7.5 times sales um, they're still losing money and just to wrap your head around it, 7.5 times sales is, I would go to you and just say, for example, um, so this company produces $100 a year. Um, I'll sell you this company for $750. So that's essentially what it means. And by the way, it also loses a lot of money. So does that sound like a good deal to you? I'm not sure, but to me, it does not sound like a good deal. <laughs> Simon, man, I think we're going to have to get you uh, as an analyst in the, uh, the the weed stock market here. You're a wizard, man. Yeah, well, this one I was keeping an eye more on it because I had friends and family that invested small amounts in them, even though I was trying to convince them not to. So I've been keeping an eye on yeah. them a little more. Yeah, yeah just so you can, I told you so. Yeah, no, uh, so I'm going to hit you with a couple questions here. So, I mean, Exo has been, uh, it's, you know, it's a weed stock that is down 82.5% since its high in April 2019. I had been writing blogs about not this name in particular, but the sector entirely trading at over 200 times sales way back in the mania. And I just couldn't come up with any certain valuation or how anyone was coming up with any valuation. So I was writing blogs about it just with the, hey, go ahead, but be aware that this is very possibly a bad, bad idea. But if you want to, you know, go ahead, throw some money in there with a, a reasonable amount of money. You know, don't go throwing your nest egg into Canopy Growth Corp and think it's going to be a good idea. So I've been writing about that a lot. And so um, weed stocks in general, since, you know, their legalization and, and the hype built up to them is a really funny thing that I think about all the time because it was a time when, you know, I've only been out of school for now two and a bit years. And it was a time where all my friends had just come out of school, just started working, have some money, and are putting money into Bitcoin and weed stocks. 
they were both going popping off like 10% a day. It like, you know, that was a, that was a slow day for them. You know, you know, 10% gains. This, so everyone's making all this money and thinking that they're absolute geniuses. And, um, you know, knowing that I, you know, have a website stratosphereinvesting.com and all this stuff, they're asking for my opinion on it. And I'm just saying, be careful, be careful, be careful. And they're like, oh, you're an idiot. It's so easy. You just make 10% a day. It's so easy. <laughs> so, you know, that fast forwards to, to now and no one's talking about the stocks anymore. Funny how that is, right? So I, I like to use, you know, the old cocktail party analogy where if, you know, your most casual investor can't stop talking about a particular company at a cocktail party, be very wary. All the time, Peter Lynch talks about this on One Up on Wall Street, and he has some hilarious quotes about these types of types of cocktail party stocks. So do your due diligence if you want to invest in weed stocks, because I do agree that the overall market is strong um, in over the long term. Just don't go throw your whole nest egg at Canopy Growth Corp or Aurora Cannabis, or in this case, Hexo. That is my, uh, my takeaway, um, and I, I hope you... <laughs> I hope listeners take that with uh, with some seriousness. All right, let's move on to my favorite part of the show, where people ask us certain companies that we li- that they would like us to talk about. And in this case, a friend of mine, Seth from Oakville, Ontario, would like to know about Adobe Systems. He says, "Myself and the photography community that he works in." are very interested in knowing about this because they use their products all the time, every day, and they have such a strong grip on the market. Um, so, you know, is this a, you know, a good company? Is this a good stock? Um, so I'll, I'll answer my quick take on it. So is it a very good company? Absolutely it is. Is it a very good stock? I'm not sure. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that for the reasons, you know, that I'll list here. So, Let's look at uh, a couple things here. So if we're looking at an overview, they have a ridiculously high return on invested capital of 35%. Um, and from a qualitative perspective, Adobe has such a tight grip on their market. Um, Seth even mentioned that photoshopped it is a verb that people you know regularly talk about when editing photos so that you're going to photoshop it. And... It's all on subscription revenue SaaS type models that we've talked about a bunch on this podcast, which is really predictable revenues and then leads to really predictable free cash flow and free cash flow, free cash flow growth. So they've been growing the top line by double digits. Uh, they've done over 20% for three years in a row. Um, and so, you know, the, the top line is, is growing very fast. Let's talk a little bit about valuation. It's trading at 55 times earnings, which is quite expensive and more expensive than SaaS models I've seen in this space with similar revenue growth numbers, more expensive. However, do those companies have the grip on the market or the, the moat that Adobe has? I'm not sure. I think Adobe has one of the best moats in, in, you know, in software entirely. So they're trading at 15 times their book and almost 15 times their sales and 50 times enterprise value to EBITDA. 
This stock is crazy expensive. And for the amount of growth you're getting, I think it's too expensive. However, in the long term, if you own high quality companies that are growing with a competitive moat, if you pay a little too, too much for them over a long, long time period, it'll probably work out for you. Right now, I think this stock is crazy expensive and um, I'd be sitting on the sidelines in the meantime. Uh, do you have anything to add to this one on Adobe here? Uh, I mean, not too much. I mean, just looking at it quickly, obviously they're pumping out uh, free cash flow like crazy. Uh, their revenue have been increasing steadily. So those are all the things that we want to be looking at. Um, the balance sheet looks solid. But again, I think you're paying, like uh, Braden said, a pretty high price for it right now. Uh, but they have done a really good job of transitioning uh, more of a, uh, you know, you had to buy the software back in the day when uh, Braden was in uh, elementary school. But when I was uh, a bit older, uh, but no, you had... This is the ageist episode. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I was going to say earlier, oh, you finished at uh, what, elementary school two years ago? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just graduated from middle school. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, they did a really good job of, of transitioning to uh, just um, software as a service company, a bit like Microsoft. Microsoft has done a really good job of doing that too. Um, so yeah, I have uh, not knowing the company super well, uh, but I know their products are really sticky. And I, from what I've heard and read, uh, I think it's a, it's a good company. But again, I think it's kind of company you probably want to buy at a fair price. You probably will never get it cheap yeah that's the thing right so often when we get these requests for these companies typically they're very popular companies and they're usually very expensive because they're fast growing or have very sticky moats uh, so we don't mean to be those guys that are like oh it's too expensive every time um, these recent examples have been you know trading at very high multiples but Simon brings up a good point that you know very very good companies don't trade at deep discounts very often or ever. So that is something to keep in mind. Uh, if you thought I was wrong about Amazon when it was, you know, a third of the size it is now, I kept telling people that it's way too expensive. How do you buy something at 250 times sales? Blah, blah, blah. blah. And although I stick by my rules-based investing and I still will in the future, uh, sometimes, you know, paying a high price for a high quality business works out in the end so and this is the you know the art of investing and what makes it makes it difficult is these types of situations what i do find interesting about adobe is up until what year is that up until 2013 free cash flow was basically stagnant and so was revenue pretty much everything was stagnant up until around 2013 the everything kind of started exploding. Uh, they were hitting double digit growth every year from the, that point forward. So I don't know offhand if, if that's exactly when they transitioned the business to SaaS or not, but uh, whatever they've been doing in the last five years has clearly been working. So yeah. And they don't, uh, yeah. they don't pay a dividend, but they've been buying back uh, stock like crazy, <laughs> like really crazy. So uh, I went from 600 million in 2014 uh, 625 2015, 1 billion uh, in 2016, 
again, one billion twenty seventeen, and last year two billion. So they've been repurchasing. Oh wow! Yeah, they are buying back a ton yeah. of stock. Yeah. So trailing twelve months is two and a half billion. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they'll Whoa. they'll probably either continue doing that or um, pay a dividend. Uh, I mean, you can make a case that it might not be the best capital allocation, given that their price is so high. But you probably could have made that case about a year and a half ago, and their price has gone up since then. So. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, it's uh, we could do a whole episode on buying back stock, right? It's it's such a it's it's such an interesting topic because you want you want the companies to buy back stock because then you become the larger shareholder. But then you go, well, I definitely don't want you buying back stock at exuberant prices. So it is one of those really tricky tricky ones. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they seem to think the stock's undervalued in 2018, buying back $2 billion and almost $2.5 in trailing 12 months. So very interesting thing you, you, you point out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you have anything else for Adobe or should we uh, transition to our tip of the day? No, I'll let you uh, fire off the tip of the day, D apostrophe A. Yeah, so the tip of the day today is uh, don't buy a stock just based on one share of the stock, so the price of one share. Um, I think EXO is a great example of that. It peaked around uh, $10 uh, about uh, a year ago, not even a year ago, and now it's at $179 a share. you can make a case, yes, in actual dollars, it is cheaper. Obviously, 179 is much cheaper than $10 a share. However, when we look at the metrics like we just discussed, it still trades at 7.5 times sales, like I mentioned earlier. So it's still pretty expensive. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you don't want to be buying a stock just because it keeps going up. Uh, so kind of the fear of FOMO, so fear of missing out. You don't want to be uh, just buying a stock because, you know, oh, it just keeps going higher, I'll miss out and so on and not do your due diligence because of that because those those are situations when uh, you can really make a mistake. Yeah, that's, that's good to bring up. The notion of buying or not buying a particular stock because of something happening on a chart is never should never really be part of your hypothesis a lot of people believe in momentum investing and although you know there's been some studies that it you know could work um this should not be a long-term investing strategy for anyone uh, that you know brings any kind of real success so same goes with a company that is trading very cheaply attractive valuations but has just had a massive run-up that shouldn't be the reason that you don't buy the stock uh, because, you know, you think you've missed out on it already too much. So uh, it goes both ways. Yeah, so uh, that's it for our show today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, if you have questions for us, uh, go to GetStockMarket.com and we'll be we'll do our best to answer as many questions or uh, do the stocks that uh, you guys want us to talk about. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.